All right. So have you listened to any of them? I have. Uh, I tried not to listen to too many of them. So I wasn't like planning what I was going to say. I just uh-huh. like want to feel like we're just like hanging out. And uh, I'm not like writing a speech or like, wait a second, let me get the cue card out of my yeah. pocket, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I watched uh, Tamara's mm-hmm. and Brent's yeah. and uh, I really enjoyed them, actually. So, mm-hmm. you know, hard acts to follow. Right? <laughs> People are really true to themselves and yeah. uh you know just uh amazing to get a sense of uh the people in our communities hey mm-hmm. yeah it's been a lot of fun to you know everyone i've interviewed i i've known for a while but to get them you know in this place talking about you know mental health it's amazing the things i've learned about everyone mm. that i didn't know before <laughs> so that's that's been really fun and just there's something about a conversation like this that opens people up and it's like a sense of uh intimacy like Mm -hmm. instead of being at a podium like with 100 people there it's like we're just hanging out yeah you know the five elements of letting go discussing mental health openly and freely and sharing tools and techniques to find peace Well, welcome everyone to the Five Elements of Letting Go. I'm Dr. Jared McCollum, and my guest today is Sarah Main. Hello. She is a, a licensed acupuncturist in High River. Um, she's also kick ass at uh, roller derby. Well, I'm retired from that now, actually. I got my <laughs> really? ass kicked at roller derby, so that's why uh, I don't do it anymore. So cool, and what an amazing uh, community of people, and just a fun sport, super entertaining. But uh, yeah, I kind of value my body being intact, <laughs> so I kind of uh, had to give that up a little bit. But that's super crazy. fun. Yeah, that's really I. You know, I just because I'd seen a few of your pics and stuff. And oh thinking, yeah, that's so badass. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, and some people still actually call me um, Main Squeeze, which is my derby name. And some people, some of my patients call me Doctor Squeeze, and I'm like, oh god, I <laughs> wouldn't hear it. that. Like. <laughs> Don't advertise that, you know, but whatever. It's my life and and I love it, right? Well, it's in the description of this podcast now. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Let's keep the story going. (laughs) Now, you've been practicing for how many years now? Wow. I'm just like a baby in my Chinese medicine uh, Mm -hmm. journey. I'm three years in practice now, so... Um, but, uh, as a healer, I've been in practice, uh, I was a massage therapist for Mm -hmm. 15 years. So I kind of feel like that background has, uh, uh, lent me a few extra skills, which I enjoy. But uh, when it comes to acupuncture and Chinese medicine, sometimes I have to remind myself, like, don't compare yourself to the people who've been in this for 20 years. It's okay. Yeah. You know, you're just starting out and, uh, you're doing wonderful, but yeah, it's it's a new journey for me, and I'm so excited to be on this path. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I remember I met you the first time, actually, at Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we've both seen each other in public in underwear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And you make the most epic costumes. And actually... Um, One of the costumes I didn't make, actually, one of my friends, uh, Lily, 
uh, made the um, space magenta costume, yeah. which I think is the the best one mm-hmm. that I I ever had and ever wore, and I yeah. just love that. But uh, like Eddie, I made Eddie, yeah. and yeah, when you you commit to having a real saxophone, like that's yeah. that's something, right? <laughs> but thank you, it's uh, something I really enjoyed, and uh, I think it's so cool that the community of Okotoks has had that and mm-hmm. so much support, and when you see. Um, you know, how much joy people have just playing their parts and, yeah. uh, you know, it being such an interactive experience. Instead of just going to watch a movie, you get to throw your toast and you get to do the time warp yeah. and it, it's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, it was canceled this year by the town, so I didn't host it here in Oak right. But the um, Oak Tokes Film Festival uh, showed it for their October f- uh, film. And they hosted it in the movie theater down the road. So, of course, they could get, uh, I think it was like 60 was their max. But, you know, kind of spread everyone out in their cohorts and everything. And they asked me to come and uh, host. But, of course, I worked the same night. <laughs> right. So, I showed up at the end and, uh, you know, did a costume judging contest and did some crazy stuff with them, you know, for the three quarters uh, that I got there for. But one thing that shocked me is I get there and there was like six kids oh in there wow yeah and the youngest must have been nine or ten years old okay yeah and the uh, one girl in their particular it was her birthday party so Aww. she had her family and friends there for her oh, birthday wow. party and they were all, the family was obviously cool and you know into it but I'm just like <laughs> and this girl I brought her up on stage with me at the end and she had helped me teach, you know, run everyone through the time warp one more time. <laughs> she knew all the words. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it blew me away. And I'm like, gee, I've been hosting this show for how many times and I still can't learn the lyrics. <laughs> but I, yeah, I was I'm like, gee, you know, you're a pretty epic family if uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show is your birthday party. Uh, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know <laughs> they always warn everyone, like it, when I run it for the town, they don't let any kids. You have to be over 18. Uh, there's some mature yeah. subject matter, but I feel yeah. like if uh, it was approached in the correct way, that it might be actually enlightening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's more my behavior that counts worried about <laughs> than the movie. <laughs> that's a possibility. And, you know, that's not actually the first place we met. You're actually part of the inspiration of my journey becoming an acupuncturist. I actually had a treatment from you. That's right. I do a remember. A very long yeah. time ago. And it, it, I only had one treatment and uh, I was just actually starting in, in my massage career. It was a long time ago, right? Yeah. So, But uh, actually, you're a bit of an influence in why I'm on the path I'm on today. Huh. So, surprise. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I knew you. I, I thought, I think you'd come in a long time ago for treatment. But, I think my hair yeah. was probably black. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have phases. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, that's the, you know, if that's the case, that's the sixth patient who's become an acupuncturist of mine. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I make it look easy. <laughs> <laughs> when they tell me, I'm like, don't do it. <laughs> it's a lot of hard work. And, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, other jobs where you get training and you get a job, you got to work hard at building yourself up and building that clientele. And it's hard work. Well, I can say, you know, uh, when I look at 
um, my colleagues and some of the classmates and people who graduated at the time um, I did, not everybody's even in it still. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, you know, you have business class at school, but it doesn't really teach you the brass tacks and yeah. the reality that uh, what you really need to do is make connections with people. Yeah. And not not everyone's good at that. Some people mm-hmm. are great at studying for exams, yeah, um, but not everybody um, is able to make a human connection. And I think that's almost one of the most important parts of acupuncture, you know, the spiritual pivot, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, if you can connect with that patient and build that relationship of trust and healing, then, you know, not only do they heal, you know, but they then with that trust and connection, that's where you get all your referrals from. Yeah. And and I think, um, you know, a lot of people um, think that we fix people. And I think a lot of people go to acupuncture school to cure people or yeah. fix people, but that's not really what we're doing at all. And so I think that's a, a huge part of it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have patients that'll come in and they'll be like, oh, I'm so much better. You, you did such amazing work. And I was like, no, I didn't. All I did was put needles in you. <laughs> you're the one that healed. You know, I have to, re- I always remind patients, your body did this. You know, I just reminded it what to do. I just opened things up and your body took care of the rest, you know, because I think uh, we as healers, when we take ownership of their healing, mm. we <laughs> rob them of their ability to heal, you know, themselves and heal often because then they become, they think in their mind, oh, well, I can't do this. I don't heal. I'm not a healthy person. I need this therapy or this person. It almost creates a dependency of sorts or yeah. you're enabling them to continue down whatever path that they were going and yeah. not actually need to change or involve themselves, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I think it's um, really wonderful when you look at it like a partnership and a team instead of I'm the doctor and, and yeah. you're the patient and yeah. I'm going to make you well. And that's mm-hmm. not really mm-hmm. what yeah. it's about at all. Yeah. And it, you know, what you said earlier kind of remind me of, you know, you say, you know, I try not to care, compare myself to other practitioners mm. and one thing I learned early on is um, I think early on in my practice, because I, I came from the world of personal training. So I did that for many years and was quite good at it. And so, but uh, the area I was quite good at was because you have to find those clients. You have to sell them personal training. Mm. And so I came from that world of selling and convincing. And so I started that initially. When I, because I was actually my first place I practiced, I was like in World Health Club. I was the oh, fitness wow. manager. <laughs> Franchise, I, yeah, even. <laughs> yeah, because I, I tried to leave the club once I find a place to practice. And they're like, no, no, we need you. You know, can you do both, please? We'll, <laughs> we'll pay for all your costs to start up. And then, uh, you know, they took a percentage and just, just practice here too. So I did that together um, for about two years. And so I was in that mentality of trying to sell acupuncture to people. And I just found I got a lot of people that just didn't mesh with me and that were difficult. And so I remember one lady in particular, I kept trying to sell her on it. And she, um, uh, no, 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 no. And then we had this one uh, conversation or connection one day. And I was just like, wow, this isn't a good idea. This lady is going to give me trouble. I can tell there's something, <laughs> something wrong here. You know, I just didn't feel, um, 
there's something fishy and I didn't want to get caught in a relationship that was going to put me in a vulnerable position. And I didn't know what it was. I still don't know what it was, but I decided she's not my patient. And so I told her so. And she approached the manager of the club and was all angry because now that I said no, now she wanted Oh, great, right? Like, that's how it works. Yeah, (laughs) and I'm just like, no, thank you, not interested. And I learned from that that um, you have to, and then I I read something around the same time about how when you build a practice, to create your dream practice, you have to decide what your dream patient is. What is that person like that you you mesh with and you fit Mm. with? And from that, I've learned that um, one, number one is the patient you know, needs to find the practitioner they fit with. And because of that, then I know I'm not the practitioner for everyone. And I don't need to treat everyone. And I don't want to. Because I bring a certain energy and, you know, style of treatment that some patients aren't going to like. Right? Oh, I can uh, certainly identify with that. Um, I really uh, enjoy being very practical and I love reading research and uh, I like learning new techniques. But at the same time, if um, someone came into my practice, I have singing bowls. Mm-hmm. You know, I have some weird stuff in there, <laughs> right? Um, and sometimes uh, I say there's more going on that we can understand and not to worry too much about it. And that's not a fit for everybody. Mm-hmm. Some people want to come in and get like the physio style of dry kneeling in and out five minutes, you know, and yeah. that's going to work best for them. And and uh, I know that's not me. And, and you know mm-hmm. what? That's okay. Yeah. Um, because I know you know, uh, five other practitioners in town who'd be more than happy to do yes. that and are are uh, great at that. And I can send those people that way and they found their fit and we're, we're all happy, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Yeah, and once you figure that out as a practitioner, I think that's where things start to shift because then you're like, okay, I know what I'm good at. I know what I like to do. I know who I am. And that b- creates a confidence and a trust in yourself that the patient can feel. And then that kind of, you know, they connect with that feeling and that energy and that confidence and they take it on and heal with it. And if you're trying to treat things that you don't like or trying to, like one thing I learned early on, you know, when you're younger and you're trying to build things and you got kids, you have to figure it out fast. (laughs) And so I was, I did the cosmetic training. I was doing, acupuncture at Merle Norman in the mall. (laughs) I I can really identify with this because I went through some of those growing pains with my massage career. And um, yeah, Evelyn Charles, that was one of my first um, massage jobs. And, you know, when I was in school, I was like, uh, I'm going to be a sports therapist and I'm going to, you know, and, but the first thing that was really available for an income was, working in a, in a place that was more salon um, mm. oriented and aesthetics. And I actually learned some really excellent skills. Um, Diva Salon, which was an Aveda concept, I also worked there and they actually put me through aesthetic school. So I learned a lot of interesting techniques and some things I really enjoyed, but I, I realized that 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 wasn't where where I belonged Mm -hmm. but you know sometimes we have to walk down those paths because they sound really cool like you get to try all the treatments before you 
give any of them. So you get mm-hmm. to have a free pedicure or whatever. But then when you're <laughs> given them, it's not quite the same. Yeah. Right? So, you know, so it's uh, I, I was lucky to have some of those growing pains in my massage career so I can kind of know a little bit where I fit. But mm-hmm. uh, the challenge for me is, um, you know, at the height of my massage career, I kind of knew all the techniques and really, really well and was at the top of my game. I was kind of like the go-to person in town. And now Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like starting out again. And it's kind of hard to let go of your ego when you're like, (laughs) oh yeah, I'm I'm the best, right? And then you're like, I'm kind of new. It's okay, right? Well, there's, has there any other licensed acupuncturists in High River? Um, We have um, uh, a few practitioners in town who are also physiotherapists Mm -hmm. or, or chiropractors. Oh, okay. And uh, all wonderful practitioners, mm-hmm. um, and I refer lots of people to them. Nice. Uh, I, I believe I'm the only doctor of Chinese medicine and the only one doing herbs. And I have a full yeah. compounding uh, pharmacy, uh, which uh, is my other passion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just love uh, working with uh, herbs and creating my witch's brews mm-hmm. for people. And uh, So do you do KPC powders? What do you do? Um, I do granules and I mm-hmm. actually uh, source mine through uh, Yin Tai. Oh, and okay. so they do 999 mm-hmm. is the ones that yeah, they yeah. use. Yeah. Um, I compound a lot of things from scratch and some things I'll get uh, in granule form and just modify it. Oh, okay. But, so that's the teas? That's right. Okay. So if I write prescriptions for patients... And send them to you? I would love it. And I've been yeah. doing some compounding for some other um, practitioners in Calgary who, when they find their supply chain has stopped, mm-hmm. the things that I have in stock, we can we can use and we yeah. can help people. And okay. it's um, really helped me because I've learned some formulas that I never would have encountered in my mm. practice because of, you know, the certain things that I treat. And yeah. so it's been such a wonderful journey um, to get to... Uh, know the herbs and I kind of look at it like a personal relationship like they're my friends (laughs) and it's just like every time I get a new formula it's like meeting a new person and uh, thinking of the person on the other end of the formula especially when I'm compounding for someone else is pretty neat because I get to imagine who this person Mm -hmm. is right that's super cool definitely because I um, you know 90% of the stuff that comes into my clinic I can treat with just acupuncture and you know, every once in a while I find those ones where I'm like, oh, it's a little sticky. Okay, let's use some herbs. And, you know, most, like I used to have a granule pharmacy myself, but I found compliance was so poor that I just don't, <laughs> I just gave up on it. It's fair. Yeah. It's fair. And and I think that always will be a challenge, um, especially um, in our society when certain flavors appeal to people. Yeah. But um, a lot of times when I use granules, um, it's because someone's um, acupuncture hasn't treated the situation and the the um, taste, um, you know, is not as important as the benefits yeah. or their problem is um, such an issue for them that um, that problem outweighs um, the poor taste. And I explained to them you know, um, flavors in Chinese medicine go to different parts of the nervous system, different Mm -hmm. meridians, and um, your body doesn't know what to do with medicine uh, unless it tastes it. So when you're taking a capsule, um, your body doesn't um, know what to do with it necessarily. Mm -hmm. And it it starts when um, the um, Tylen comes into the complex and then tells the body what to do with that substance. So Well, and like when you, when it's in the mouth, body releases specific enzymes 
Mm-hmm. That's that where the tylen- with the stomach yeah. to digest it properly. Like I remember my chiropractor always told me with like tablets, because uh, he used tablets. He didn't use capsules, but he says you got to chew them. Right. And we're thinking about um, absorbing <laughs> something through this delicate GI tissue yeah. that's going to cause a huge hole or problems for people later. Whereas, you know, in liquid form, it's able to pass through a yeah. lot easier. Yeah. So, and it's not everybody's uh, bag. There are patients where I've given them a sample to make sure mm-hmm. they don't react yeah. and they react like this. Huh, I'm never yeah. taking this again. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and in that case, then of <laughs> course we find another mm-hmm. um, way to do it. And yeah. I mean, acupuncture is so beautiful and stimulates the body to heal itself. And I always start there first, yeah. but um, I was taught at school that um, substance problems require substance to, to heal. So mm-hmm. if it's a biochemistry issue, then we're looking at more um, that we may need something from the outside. Yeah. So well, that's super cool. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the other thing too is that it's if you want to get better, like if you don't like it, you know the taste, then you better get better fast, <laughs> right? So, so you don't have to do a second dose, <laughs> right? And some things, it's funny. Uh, a lot of my patients, I tell them beforehand, I'm like, don't expect to like it, and they're like, it's not that bad. Why? Did you, what about the buildup? Well, you I know? guess if you build it up, make it sound terrible, <laughs> then they're like, eh, it's weird, but it's not that bad. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, one thing I like to discuss with everyone before we get kind of into it is, you know, how you feel our like collective response um, to mental health is at in our community currently. Well, I have to be honest. I think it's getting better. And I think more and more people are being honest and talking and being more open um, that uh, it's an important component of our health. And uh, I see so many um, uh, resources um, in the foothills in High River and Okotoks that are um, popping up and available. And uh, I think it's beautiful. And even um, with Western medicine, you know, Alberta Mental Health Services has an intake line that you can call if you're in the foothills area and uh, you're experiencing any difficulty and you can get free counseling through Alberta Mental Health Services. And I I, uh, am starting to hear more and more people talking about that. And I think it's... uh, amazing what we have and there's so many different styles of private counseling that people can seek out and i mean obviously in what we do you know we don't diagnose or treat western medical conditions Mm -hmm. but we see um the emotional um, mental and spiritual bodies as being part of health and physical health as well so uh i'm really excited that um our region seems to really want to help to support mental health and mm-hmm. it's excited to be kind of part of that initiative. So, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, we've got the, you know, we are opening up more openly discussing it. There's, you know, the counseling and all that is fantastic. You know, it's just a, over the years, like working with patients and researching more and more about mental health, you know, it really shows me that there's like, there's not just the internal it's not just the discussion, you know, mm. but there's all these uh, like big connection issues, you know, like, do you feel satisfied in your job? Mm. Do you have people in your <laughs> life you truly feel connected to? Do you have a bigger sense of community that you can go to and feel a part of? Mm. Um, do, uh, you know, financially, are you in a position <laughs> where you're cared for? 
financially mm. enough you know enough healthy food and mm. nourishment in your life like these are such big global issues that aren't something that you and I can fix or mm. a psychologist can fix. Mm. This is stuff that has to be fixed by community and politics. Mm. And yeah. I feel like there's so much more um, to do, a lot of work and a lot of ways to grow. But, you know, talking about food security, you know, that was a term I'd never heard in my life mm. before. But then um, one of uh, my friends in my community in High River set up um, the Wild Rose Food Rescue and it's actually, um, you know, she was the first person I heard coin the term food security, um, but it's um, a great organization and it distributes food to members of our uh, community that might not have access to, to nourishment. And especially people who have different uh, food sensitivities or mm -hmm. even um, religious practices that might limit their choices, you know, from the food bank. Yeah. And uh, they rescue food that would otherwise um, be thrown in the dumpster. And I, I watch their total all the time, and I'm always, like, amazed. I think it's, like, a million pounds of food saved. Um, uh -huh. And it's just um, wonderful. And I, I'm amazed every day um, when I meet someone new who tells me about some kind of resource that supports people. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, you always hear things about, oh, well, we have, you know, we don't have enough food. There's too many people in the world. We need to, you know, uh, GMO this and do this. And I'm not saying those things aren't okay. You know, they're just these, all these drastic steps to provide more food. But yet when you look at the numbers, you know, a third of the food that is grown in this world is thrown away, whether it's. You buy it at the grocery store and it goes bad in your fridge and you just throw it out. Or you don't eat all of your food and you throw it out. But a lot of it happens at the grocery store. A lot of it even happens in the fields mm. where they're like, yeah, we don't like the look at that. We're just going to leave it. Or during COVID, you know, when we're all locked down and they weren't no one's selling picking enough anything. food. So they just ran the tractors over all this food because they couldn't get the price they wanted for it. So they were going to destroy it instead because it costs too much to pick it and get it to someone. Whereas like, I know the uh, federal government here in Canada was like, we're buying all that food. They mm -hmm. bought it all and gave it to food banks. But in the U S I think a lot of it was just plowed over. Oh, it just infuriates me. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel it's getting like, you're getting warm over there. But there's so many things like that, that it's just like, there is enough for everyone out here. You know, we have all the stuff. It's just us, you know, putting our egos aside, putting aside our ideologies and just taking care of people and providing. Well, and I think that's almost uh, kind of that um, mental view of scarcity. Mm -hmm. You know, people are afraid if they share that they won't have enough. Yeah. And I think our, our economic and political systems support things like that, yeah. which is unfortunate. Yeah. And we... We teach scarcity in everything because the concept of competition is at the root of all our systems. Our religion is all about competition on who gets to be with God and who doesn't. Mm. Our sports are all about who wins and who doesn't. You know, schooling, who gets the good grades and who doesn't. You know, it's not about finding what people are good at nourishing and supporting those things. It's about who can be the best at this. And when you have a concept like competition, the con the, it, it just inversely, it means scarcity. 
there's not enough for everyone to win. And that way, someone's the winner and someone's the loser. And that's why I prefer collaboration over competition, yes. right? And mm-hmm. um, it's actually something I've uh, fostered in my business and my professional life, you know, and that's why I refer patients out to others. Yeah. And uh, I don't need to be the only game in town. You know, I just want to support wellness throughout our whole community. So that's mm-hmm. what's important to me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, now, this is the point where I get a little personal. Oh, geez. So this is totally <laughs> up to you and how you feel okay. and what you want to share. But, you know, do you have any experience yourself um, with mental health? Like, uh, and again, we all do, right? <laughs> it's just what level that is and what we're comfortable sharing. Um, so I've never been diagnosed by a Western um, physician uh, mm-hmm. with having any um, particular disorder but I can certainly uh, share that throughout my life, I've had struggles as as any person had. Uh, as a young person in school, I never really felt like I fit in and I was always really busy. I was on in every band and I don't mean like the cool like rock bands. I mean like, you know, like French horn trumpet, like yeah. all of that stuff. <laughs> I was in Air Cadets. I was always, I kept myself busy instead of um, making friends or playing Mm -hmm. because I felt like that kept me safe. And if someone asked me how I was or who I was, you know, it was like, I'm, I'm on my way to flight school or whatever, you know? So it was kind of um, a way of dealing with that. Um, I've also uh, struggled um, in, in my life with addictions and um, to many different things. And uh you know, even day to day, um, I have things that I encounter and I feel like my mental health ebbs and flows as it would uh, for anyone. And I feel really fortunate, um, you know, to be able to recognize that and uh, to meet my needs when I have them. Mm-hmm. So I, this is the one of the reasons why I feel this podcast is so important is so everyone out there that's listening can be like, Sarah kicks ass and she struggles too. I have you know? a lot of patients who are like, you're the calmest person I know. And I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, like a duck, like yeah. <laughs> right on the surface, paddling like mad underneath. Yeah. Right? But, and that's okay. Yeah, it's totally okay. And it's totally normal. You know, we all struggle to find out who we are, to figure out our identity. You know, um, again, you know, when I was young, it was this, you know, trying to, you know, my parents were continually trying to put this round peg in a square. You know, just like mm. pounding me into this expectation of how mm. you're supposed to, who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to mm. live your life. And of course, I just didn't fit in. And it was this constant battle. And, you know, I know too with myself, you know, um, I was never great at making friends. That's why I had, I hung out with the same people I knew since I was five all <laughs> through school, you know, cause you just, just not, you know, some, some of, some people are so good at making new friends. Mm. And other people, it's it's struggle. It's it's difficult. So, yeah, you keep yourself busy and stuff. So yeah. we, we, you appear to have a circle, uh, you know. Yeah, and that's it's all appearance, right? That yeah. was like a coping mechanism for me. And and now um, I equate the B word. Uh, I say it's like the new F word. You know, how are you? And then people say I'm busy, and I'm like, oh, is that a good thing? You know, yeah. now that I've recognized that in myself and. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's negative, 
But I I look back at my life and see that it was a coping mechanism mm. instead of creating connection. And uh, and it's funny because I have people tell me, uh, you seem like such an outgoing person and you'll try so many uh, different things. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, you look very interesting. And I'm like, well, that that's appearance, right? Like you can look at my social media and like look at stuff I do, but stuff I do isn't necessarily who I am. Yeah, yeah. So. That's a big difference, <laughs> isn't it? You know, because you see a lot of people and you're like, wow, they have a really interesting life or they do all these things, um, but they still don't know who they are. <laughs> well, and it, it's really cool, um, even though there's a lot of separation right now. Uh, one of my friends, uh, Jody Seeley, she has a, a virtual coffee time on Facebook and uh, you can watch and uh, she's a broadcaster and she's really interesting and fun. And uh, the other day she did an exercise and she was like, okay, get on your uh, computers and tell me who you are, but you can't use your job, yeah, <laughs> you know, or if you're a parent as your description. Yeah. And, and I was like, wow, right. What yeah. we do isn't necessarily um, who we are. Yeah. And it's, we all want to define ourselves by our roles rather than who we really are. Mm, than our qualities. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I find that a lot with patients who are, you know, um, more women, just because men are a little more clueless to this concept, <laughs> but where women get to the point where their kids are just about to graduate or move out and their marriage is a little rough at this point, because it usually is, because there's all these decisions in their head at this point. It's like, okay, I'm a mother and a wife. And pretty soon I'm not going to be, the kids are going to be around. So I'm not going to be the much of a mother. My relationship isn't where it should be. So, you know, I don't really like, am I just these roles and they feel very lost and it always makes their symptoms worse. <laughs> I, I would um, say that one of my specialties is treating menopause. Yeah, me and too. The and symptoms yeah. are, um, a lot of times emotionally related and definitely related to changing roles and that yes. empty nester syndrome where now I actually have to talk to my husband. Like, yeah. I don't know who he is. We didn't really spend any time together because yes. he was at work or, and mm-hmm. I was at work and taking care of the kids yeah. and the home. And yeah. now, you know, that women not- always do so much more than the men. <laughs> I, I hate to agree with you, but and and I don't have kids, so uh-huh. I I'm a little bit um, different in in my life and talking about um, mental and emotional health. Um, you know, society puts a lot of pressure on women to have children, so starting mm-hmm. to learn who I am, you know, and um, where I fit, yeah. not necessarily. Um, being a breeder, so to speak, yes. right? And I don't have to define myself by my children. You know, like there's this little comic I saw recently, well, actually a few years back, and it was like this um, one woman who's holding like an Oscar. And she's like, I did it. And then there's this woman beside her holding a baby, and she's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> and then I saw it again later, and someone else had used it and then just added some stuff to it. Basically like, uh, no, your self-worth isn't defined just by your ability to have children. Mm. You know, it's who you are as a person. Right. You know, it's not, (laughs) it's not what you've accomplished or what roles you Mm -hmm. fulfill. It's who you are and how you treat others that defines who you are. Absolutely. Yeah. 
because I saw that and I'm just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come from? I you know, know, like you're only you're only a good woman if you have children. Oh boy. Yeah. I'm sure there's, you know, and and it, <laughs> it's always interesting. You know, you always want what you don't have. Mm. And then when you have it, you're Except like, for me, oh, I'm I happy I with my kids. cat. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. And Good that doesn't you. make me a bad person. No. It just makes me love my cat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you know, I always think that, um, you know, to me, I think it's a really so- solid sign of how well you know yourself as a woman, if you chose not to have kids or you just, you know, that's just not my path, you know? And I think uh, that's totally okay, you know, because you don't have to, you know, do all these different roles or like men who don't have kids or, you know, like it's not an expect, it's not a requirement Mm -hmm. to get anywhere, do anything or be anyone of good worth. Right. Yeah. So weird. (laughs) But again, we, we create all these expectations um, based off our culture, our religions, and we just say, this is the pinnacle of you know, mm. life. And you must achieve these things to be a good person and to achieve in life. And I think we're so bombarded. There's so much information. Um, you know, you can't walk outside without seeing an advertisement. You know, even mm-hmm. if you didn't have a TV, even if you didn't have a radio, just because you have yeah. eyes in your head, you yeah. can see billboards, mm-hmm. right? There's no escaping, um, you know, commercialism and uh, kind of what we're told society expects of Mm -hmm. us right so and again along with you know mental health and all that we're seeing this shift where we're starting to recognize that you know everyone's a little different (laughs) and that's okay and really a sign of good balanced mental health is when you find out who you are Mm. and you settle in and accept that and you're happy with yourself Mm. because there's so much turmoil and pain when you're not at, at ease with you, who you are. Um, I love that you use the word acceptance. It's one of my favorite words yeah. lately. And uh, a lot of people um, kind of put this connotation on acceptance like surrender. But like acceptance is actually also like another word we use for like receiving like gifts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Like we don't have to just examine the the bad parts of ourselves or what's not working right when Mm. we shift our focus to what's going well and what we can share with the world i think it's beautiful right so self-acceptance is just such an amazing thing Mm -hmm. yeah surrender almost is like you're giving up control to someone else or to Mm. something else Mm. you know to me surrender would be like okay i give up i'll do what everyone expects of me i'll live (laughs) this life you know this role that you expect where to me, acceptance is more like I always, I love the concepts uh, in Taoism and like a wu wei, like this mm. emptiness that for you to be able to receive who you are, your cup needs to be empty, ready to receive that. So you have to let go of all the things that don't um, fit you, that aren't who you are, that aren't a part of your core. And as you give those things up and let go of them, now you have room to receive mm. who you are mm. and to accept who you are and to, you know, uh, get there. And this is a thing that goes on throughout our whole lives because we're not the same person all the time, right? We change and develop <laughs> and we need to be always 
prepared and ready to let go of things that don't serve us anymore. And you're like, well, during that time or during that relationship, I needed to be doing that or I needed to think that way or I needed that practice. Mm. But now I don't need that anymore. And so I can let go of that and keep evolving and changing and developing who I am. Mm. Do you, have you found that in your life? Uh, absolutely. And sometimes it's when I've dug in the most is when I needed to let go the most. In, <laughs> um, um, you know, my massage career towards the end, uh, I was seeing like eight clients a day for one hour treatments, five days a week. I didn't know anyone who worked as much as I did. Well, that's and a lot for massage. I'm, oh, boy. I'm lucky I'm, I'm built fairly well and, yeah. uh, you know, mentally, uh, emotionally and physically, cause it's not even just the wear and tear on your joints. It's that you're stuck in a room with someone else for an hour, yeah. you know, and yeah. absorbing their energy and their ideas. Yeah. And, uh, it's uh, difficult work. And I think, uh, I was burning out a bit as much as I love um, working with people and doing my best. I, I wasn't sure um, how much longer I would have been able to to keep up that schedule. And, uh, you know, um, but I would have kept going and kept going until, you know, uh, one of those cogs in the wheel wasn't going <laughs> to run anymore. And, uh, you know, and then the flood happened mm -hmm. and my business happened to be in High River and, you uh, our office got uh, destroyed. So, and uh, the lady who owned the clinic I worked in was really wonderful. She's like, anyone you want to reach out to, feel free. If you can work somewhere else, please do. Don't feel like I have like ownership on you. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, which was beautiful. Um, but uh, that's when I decided to go back to school, you know, in my late 30s, which is like a hard thing to do when yeah. you're used to making money yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, having to be back in college again, which is, that's a big mental shift to make when, you know, you've lived some of your life and yeah. uh, you have different ideas uh, about things. But if that catalyst hadn't occurred, you know, um, I would have just held on and held on and held on. And mm. it's, it's so funny how grateful um, I am for that, even though at the time, like that is not what I would have said. Yeah. Um, if you asked me what I thought about that occurrence and, uh, it, for me, I, I needed that to happen to mm. make change in my life. And, uh, you know, I'm so thankful and I, I'm really enjoying learning and growing now. Hmm. Yeah. It's again, it's, uh, uh, like again, uh, one of my tattoos on my my right hand is a morfati, and it's Latin meaning uh, accept your fate or love your fate, mm. right? This concept of, and again, I don't know how much I believe in fate, but this idea that everything that happens to you happens for your best possible good. Mm. And that when we judge something, we affect not only our energy and our health by deciding if it's good or bad, but we put limits on what that situation can bring us. Because I'm sure we've all had experiences where we're like, oh, that was terrible. I can't believe that thing happened <laughs> to me. But then you look back and you're like, oh, but it led to this. Like it was the so best, good. best thing in my life. And yeah. I love that you use the word limits because I get to show off my finger tattoo. Yeah, I love it. And it's <laughs> it's a, a lazy eight or it's the infinity symbol, which uh -huh. reminds me that, you know, I put the limits on myself. Yeah. Like we're limitless beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's times where we're like, 
uh, oh, this is going to be the best thing ever. I'm so excited for this. We're going to be together forever. It's going to be amazing. And then, <laughs> and then it. You're later on. You look back and you're like, oh, thank God that didn't work out. <laughs> or, or it did work out, and that was like the worst possible yes. thing that could have ever happened. You yeah. know, in hindsight. Yeah. But so I'm, I'm continually in this development of myself to get to this point where. I just accept every moment as this is right. Uh, that's awesome. I'm not I, quite there yet, but I'm yeah. working on it. I know. And I'm, I'm not saying I've figured it out. But, you know, I always I always feel like whether it's an emotion or anything, that initial response, it's just, you know, because your brain predicts everything, right? So it's like, oh, this is going to be difficult or this is going to be bad or this makes you angry. So your brain always predicts mm. how you're going to respond. It's mm. not a it's not a um, cause and effect. That's not how the brain works. The brain mm. actually predicts everything. Mm -hmm. So based off your previous experience in life or how you were raised or how your parents taught you, you predict everything based off those experiences. So we actually have to reprogram and change mm. how we think and so on to change those predictions so that when things come along, instead of predicting this is a bad thing or is that is a good thing, where your brain's like, eh, whatever. That's this is cool. What are we going to learn from this? Where is this going to lead? Rather than, you know, because if we think something is going to be bad, then we hold back. We limit our responses. We judge it. We try to, you know, we don't embrace it mm. and we push it away. And that just takes longer for us to move forward mm. and learn from it. Well, I love that, uh, the parable of the farmer. Yes, you know? the Chinese farmer. Yeah, I love that, where it's like, is it good, is it bad? Well, maybe, I don't yeah. know yet. But that's um, certainly a powerful thing to talk about, you know, when you think of things like PTSD, where it's a, a nervous system response that a, a person can't even control. Mm -hmm. And it's it, it just happens so quick, and it's physical. It's not just like thinking. It's actually being in the situation yeah. again that, mm -hmm. that occurred you know yeah. and uh i think those uh physical stimuli you know prove how how much of an effect these things can have on us oh yeah the brain you know like i, I tell patients with anxiety and ptsd all the time i'm like you have to understand that whether you're experiencing it real time irl mm. <laughs> <laughs> or if you are uh dreaming it or daydreaming it you're brain and body don't know the difference mm -hmm. your body doesn't know the difference your brain might but you still think it your body's going to respond in the same way so you're gonna and again you know um especially with anxiety it's that when you think of those thoughts that stress you out your body gets the flight or flight response you're flooded with adrenaline and now you have mm -hmm. all this adrenaline and you're not fighting anyone you're not running <laughs> away so what's your body going to do without adrenaline it mm. has to find a way to release mm -hmm. it. So it raises your heart rate. <laughs> it, um, you know, makes you sweat. You start to shake. <laughs> All of these symptoms that we call panic attack or, you know, uh, PTSD response. It's that daydream connecting with the body in real time. And we create it. And we have to trust it. that This is just the body releasing that adrenaline and allow it to work through us. You know, mm. rather than fighting it and then creating a true response. So mm. we get caught in the loop. Well, and sometimes you can actually think about it 
um, as if like it's actually a healthy response in some cases. Yeah. It's our body doing something it needs to sur- to survive. So you can look at it like I'm glad my body will do that so I can be safe. But now um, we have to get it out of that program when um, we can determine that it is safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. We, you know, again, I think the more we kind of get an understanding of how the brain works, how our body works, how we respond, you know, how we create and interpret those emotions, the better we can let go of them and find <laughs> that peace. Right. You know, to understand that, you know, cause I think when I was younger, course i was taught that anger was this negative emotion that um was brought on by you know the devil or whatever if you weren't uh praying enough if you weren't reading scripture enough if you weren't you know righteous enough then these emotions came in and Mm. made you feel this way and made you do bad things you know wow that's powerful so then you think oh I'm not righteous enough. I'm not good enough. It's I'm a bad person for feeling these emotions Mm. rather than understanding anger is not a negative. There's no negative emotions. Anger is just a signal of perceived imbalance. So you feel angry because you think something's imbalanced in your life because you feel something is unfair or unjust Mm. all the time. Whenever you feel angry, it's always injustice. Well, if you um, look at scriptures like, Jesus went and overturned the coin counters tables. Like yes. he even got mad. Like, yeah. and as far as I know, in Christianity, he's a pretty good dude. Yeah. So yeah. I would say, yeah. you know, that that's <laughs> not true, that our emotions don't make us um, bad people yeah. or good people. Yeah. Um, I like the Buddhist view that we actually aren't our emotions. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like clouds traveling through the sky and they occur and we can observe them um, and they don't make us who we are. Yeah. Yeah, I always tell patients when they're in a really dark place, and I make it very a priority, especially with the kids I treat. They come with anxiety and depression, you know, because I use the AccuGraph so I can show them the imbalances mm. and I can say, this is the imbalance, not you. You're good. Mm. You're awesome. Mm-hmm. It's this imbalance that's making you feel this way. You're not broken. Mm. You're not damaged. Mm. You're not a defect. Mm. You're not defective. You're just imbalanced at the moment and we're going to fix this and then your body's going to be able to let go of this go. Mm. And you just watch their eyes when you explain this and they're just like, oh, thank goodness. I'm, I'm okay. Well, and you know, it's funny in, in my practice, you know, I, I've found uh, like trigger points on the liver meridian, you know, and Somebody's like, I don't even know why I'm mad. Nothing even happened. It's like, it's okay. There's just like uh, a knot here. Like I'm just, the needle's going to flip that switch for you, make the nervous system connection. And it's not actually your reaction to anyone. It's actually that part of your nervous system that's not just sending the signal where it needs to. So, Mm -hmm. you know, where you bumped your knee on the coffee table has that's, you know, (laughs) made you yell at your kids later. Like, it's okay. Don't, you know. Yeah, and it's, you know, to me, that was really important to learn. You know, I didn't learn it until I was in my mid-20s, you know, because my whole life thinking that, you know, 
the rage I felt as a kid and the anger and all that for decades was my fault. Mm. And then to, you know, sit down and I think I, have you ever read Between Heaven and Earth by Harriet Benfield? And no, Ephraim I haven't Humboldt? yet. Oh, gee. It's on the list. Okay. <laughs> but that's, I read that while I was in studying pre-law at a university. I was taking a break from studying for the LSATs and I read that book. And the connection in there with the five elements, the personality types, the emotions. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this explains so much. <laughs> so I, you know, that week I read everything I could find on acupuncture and Chinese medicine. Um, I must have read about 10 books that week. I interviewed an acupuncturist. <laughs> I went and visited the schools. I did every research I could. And at the end of a week, I dropped out. <laughs> and went and studied Chinese medicine. Nice. <laughs> I love it when the universe takes us places we don't expect. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. I never even expected to go to massage school. I, I had started my um, young adulthood and my career was going, going to be, I was going to be a commercial pilot. Mm -hmm. And that sounded really cool when you told people like you flew airplanes and, yeah. you know, um, I think my dad really connected with that and that made him really proud. So that's kind of why I, I got into that, um, but I found aviation didn't really suit me, and um, it's it's an amazing career. But I found like that culture didn't suit me, and it wasn't my destiny. And and you know I struggled for years to find something. And uh, you know I went to um, take a friend to school day with another friend, and uh, next thing you know, and I'd never even had a massage in my life. I was like, I don't know why this. I feel like I should be here, and then. Here I was going to massage school, yeah. like, you know, commercial pilot to, you know, to that. It yeah. just didn't seem to make sense, but it just, I could feel it. Wow. You know, so That's really cool. I guess I'm in school now, whatever. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Do you still fly? I haven't flown in about five years now, but uh -huh. I did um, uh, my private license when I was in Air Cadets. I got my uh, private license before I could drive a car. I could fly an airplane. Really? Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. I failed the driver's test like five times. <laughs> <laughs> that's not uncommon today. <laughs> speeding, speeding is an automatic fail, okay? And in the air, there's no speed limit. Yeah. So, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I haven't uh, actually piloted a plane myself in years, but, you uh -huh. know, one of those, like, get back to it when the time is yeah. right kind of thing. So do you have to maintain so many flying hours each year to maintain a license? Or um, just like a car, you get a license as long as you keep renewing it? The private license, um, I have that forever. Uh, I have my uh, commercial uh, exam that I took. I have that forever, but you have to renew your medical. And if I want to rent a plane for someone, they'll want to make sure that I can still fly. So they'll want to do a check ride and stuff yeah. like that. But yeah. okay, yeah, well, that's really neat. What a cool thing to have in your pocket for cool stuff. It was a on. fun, fun phase in my life, you yeah. know, but it was one of those things that I identified, like it's something I'm interested in. Aviation interests me, but I don't have to make that a career. Yeah. Oh, neat. Cool. Um, now you mentioned earlier and we don't have to go into detail, but you talked about, you know, with yourself with addiction, mm. um, do you, you know, what's, you know, from being a person that, you know, struggles or did struggle and now being a practitioner who's treated people with, you know, mm. what's your philosophy around addiction? Well, <laughs> that's a deep subject, yeah. but 
Um, one of the most important things uh, I think people uh, should know, addicts and non-addicts, um, is that, um, you know, addicts aren't bad people. Yeah. They're your friends. They're your neighbors. Um, there's nothing, you know, um, uh, negative about them. Um, they're just sick and they need um, other people um, other people's health. And it's so important, um, you know, to be compassionate and to understand that, uh, this isn't necessarily something, um, someone looked for, you know, um, or wanted for themselves. Like they didn't, you know, in kindergarten class when they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? They mm -hmm. didn't write, I want to be a drunk or whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and, um, some of these, uh, substances are, are powerful and, uh, cunning and, and baffling. And, uh, it's pretty easy, especially when, um, your reality doesn't meet your expectations to want to escape them. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, I feel like um, uh, really grateful, actually, that that's in my life experience so I can look another person in the eye and say, I, I understand. Yeah. You know, and uh, I'm really fortunate that uh, I've found solutions that work for me and to, to uh, share that there is hope and this doesn't have to end in the in the three normal ways like jail the <laughs> asylum or or in the ground yeah you know yeah. and uh you know even uh people still using aren't aren't bad you know um i have a friend who's a, a psych nurse in in bc and uh she does a lot of fundraising and a lot of uh work for people in harm reduction and I love it. She she uh, made T-shirts that say "Nice people do drugs." Yeah, you know, and I think um, uh, people would be really surprised um, if they knew uh, who in their own life might struggle. Yeah. You know, and uh, people can wear masks, and you might be completely unaware of who this might be a problem for. And it's it's funny. It's a discussion. Uh, that I have um, with my parents sometimes, uh, their worldview is is different than mine, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make them bad people, or I don't think they're wrong, but they kind of struggle with that idea. And uh, uh, one day we were talking about, um, you know, uh, giving kits to people who are overdosing, yeah. and uh, they were kind of like, "My tax dollars, you know, let them die." Well, <laughs> and I and I said to my dad, "Well, you know, um, if we're talking about not helping people because of the lifestyle choices they make, what if I say, you know, uh, you're having a heart attack, but you eat poorly, so I don't really want to help you." Yeah, and I didn't you know, want to hurt my dad's yeah. feelings and I love him and, uh -huh. and everything. But, you know, it, it uh, gave them a new perspective to think, oh, you know, like I didn't just because it's it's legal or accepted, mm -hmm. um, you know, but it can affect someone's health, yeah. you know, that it doesn't make someone who eats cheeseburgers isn't a bad person, no. right? Yeah. Um, so it's, um, I think having that in my journey allows me to be compassionate and uh, makes it um, safe for people who are yeah. in that position, yeah. you know? That's cool. I have a whole section of my course about, you know, about addictions, but say, I don't, I don't believe there's addicts and not addicts. We're all addicts. Oh my gosh. You just have to ask someone, you know, yeah. and it'll be well, like TV or yes. exercise just yes. because they're socially acceptable. Yep. 
Yeah. And then we, we look at the things that we have decided all of a sudden are not acceptable. Those things are addictions and all these like, you know, praying and go to church and exercise mm-hmm. and people who eat so strictly or, you know, all these, these are still addictions, you know, and they may come up with things that we feel are socially acceptable or whatever. But mm-hmm. see, I define addiction as um, when you do something or use something to hide and bury your true feelings. Mm, I, I think that's a pretty accurate uh, description. Yeah. So if you don't feel good about yourself, so you work out, you know, 30 hours a week <laughs> <laughs> to bury that, you know, mm. lack of self-acceptance or whatever, or you pray a ton and read scripture a ton because it distracts you from the fact that you feel unworthy and that God doesn't love you. And so if you do these things, maybe he will, you know, there's so many things we do, whether it's, uh, you know, people who have been, um, you know, molested or raped. And so they eat and they overeat and put on weight to protect themselves. Yeah. There's countless things out there that are just one addiction after another. Mm. And if we can, and so when I teach patients about this, I want them, one, to understand we're all addicts and that, um, you know, just because their addiction you've decided is unacceptable doesn't mean that you're not one too. And you need to love and accept them, you know, and help them. Absolutely. I like that definition uh, that you used. And one that I've encountered and used for uh, myself is that it's an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. Ah. (laughs) So it's something you can't, um, you're not free um, Mm -hmm. from, you have to focus it on the time. When, when are you going to get to do X, Y, or Z next? Um, An allergy of the body is there's adverse um, effects. If you um, expose yourself to Mm -hmm. That idea, even ideas, um, no. can be can be a, a like QAnon, <laughs> <laughs> right? You so, know, like these these conspiracy theories are another addiction. Mm. You know, like oh, that this thinking about this and this idea makes me feel smart or makes me feel safe or makes me feel special. You mm-hmm. know, flat Earth, whatever it is, it's just another addiction to something that so you don't have to think about the moment and who you are and what you're mm. going through. You know, we love distractions and addiction is just another distraction. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just I, I like how you said just because that one's acceptable, <laughs> you know, in yeah. your mind. And actually, yes. I also, um, you know, have a program uh, that I use uh, in support of having people in my life who are addicts and alcoholics um, so that I can be compassionate with them so that, you know, I can... Uh, not be like, okay, Becky, like you honestly like have a problem with this and yeah. then judge them, right? <laughs> yeah. It's all about um, fostering love and uh, compassion for our fellow yeah. man and yeah. seeing them as part of us instead of separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've read a couple of Dr. Gabor Mate's books. Oh, yeah. And I love how he describes it, you know, because again, his experience working in, um, you know, uh, uh, East Vancouver, you know, mm. in the tough tough spot there and he you know for his experience over you know decades in there that 95 plus percent of the you know people who suffered from addictions um because they had endured a form of you know physical sexual or emotional abuse and using the drugs was the 
you know, few moments that they didn't have to feel those things mm. to make them go away mm-hmm. and to make it disappear for even a short period of time. And I think when you have that knowledge and you understand that, then when you look at someone who's suffering, rather than looking at it as, oh, they're weak and immoral and they just need to pray more, mm. you know, because that's what AA <laughs> teaches us that, you know, oh, you just, if you pray more and, you know, do all this, it'll go away. Well, it doesn't go away. We have to heal that root problem. Well, I actually maybe have to argue on Sure, that. yeah, yeah. L- love to hear. <laughs> yeah. Actually, um, uh, I, I think that um, actually looking at 12-step programs, they, when you look at the steps, um, actually, um, most of the steps are geared towards healing their emotions. Yeah. Okay, good. Actually, um, yeah. we should talk about it sometime. I'll sure. like show you um, because sometimes um, I think there's this huge misconception of AA because um, they keep themselves anonymous to protect their members. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like Fight Club. They don't talk yeah. about it outside yeah. Fight Club, right? Yeah. Um, so a lot of people have this misconception that it's, um, a God program, but it's actually a spiritual program and anyone can use whichever higher power they, they choose. And that can even be themselves, but that's not the only part. Um, actually, um, you know, uh, if you look at the steps in the program, you look at step four, uh, step four is, um, making an inventory of your life and looking, um, at, your um, situations and you look at um, the actions that you feel have caused um, resentments but then you look at your part and then you actually um, make amends and and heal those emotions and actually if you um, examine the steps um, it's a way that uh, a lot of people um, get through their addiction but actually it's not something like how you stop it's actually how you stay stopped and have a it's a program for life they call it Mm -hmm. so it actually gives people um, mechanisms in order to live a good life after they've um, left their addiction so they call it um, their solution so Mm -hmm. it's actually a lot less punishing than people think and and if people have never uh, gone to an open meeting which i haven't dude you should totally go i'm going to give you a list so you can find out where they are and um you have to understand that their program um, is made anonymous so that people can feel safe if they go um, because there is this misconception um, that someone is a bad person because yeah. they're a drunk. Yeah. And it's like, okay, no, um, I'm an alcoholic. I'm, I'm actually sick. It's actually an allergy. Yeah. You don't say little Johnny's uh, an asshole because he can't eat peanuts. Yeah, yeah. And you don't also <laughs> offer little Johnny peanuts. Oh, well, you can just have one. Well, no, yeah. you can't. You're anaphylactic. Yeah. That's not going to change. I like that, uh, that description. That's a cool one <laughs> to help people understand, you know, because it- – I think some people get like that. Oh, you've been fine now. You can have a little, or, <laughs> you know, like that must be so hard. Like myself, I didn't, you know, like I tried alcohol as a ch- uh, as a youth, but then right. I didn't really start drinking until I was 37. Wow. So, <laughs> so I went like decades without even touching alcohol. Um, but uh, maybe that was a good thing <laughs> that I didn't, you know, during those times where, 
I you think could the depend on it, universe right? gives us what we can handle. Yeah. And maybe, you know, Jared, that was the better option. <laughs> the for universe you. is like, we don't want the asshole Jared to have no. alcohol. <laughs> Not mixing. <laughs> but no, thank you for correcting me. Because again, you know, my my experience is limited. But I just I just I've had patients that have been in programs and there's been judgment from family and friends. Maybe it's just their religious aspect of it that they're mm, pushing on it. Well, um, but that's I, just the, the I'm getting third hand information. And and I, I think that's the thing, too, is it's it's a lifetime program and you can't go to one meeting and think you've got all the information. Mm-hmm. And if you ever go to a meeting, which I, I've been to a meeting, um, you'll hear people um, share about how the spiritual experience helped them s- them heal mm-hmm. and a lot of people's word for their higher power is god yeah so and and they do have the word god in the steps but they say as we understood him and they explain that um it's the higher power of your choosing or the situation of your choosing yeah. it it doesn't have to be christian or buddhist or it can just be a friend helping you it's about that um you don't have the only solution only by yourself that Mm -hmm. that you can be supported and others can hold you and and assist you with that and it's um creating community all all the steps have the word we in them instead of i oh that's nice because you it yeah they they truly believe because we heal as a community yeah if i'm sick everyone's sick yeah everyone's affected by my sickness yeah yeah and that's whether it's and see that's a thing like whether it's covid being spread but also addiction you know it harms me it harms others Mm. um you know mental health when i'm ill i'm gonna affect everyone around me you know that's why I've, i've talked several times in this podcast about how you know, the concept of Native American healing, where it's this, the community heals mm. and we're going to give, we're going to have some medicine, like everything's medicine, mm. you know, whether it's the dance or the song, or we're going to, we're going to hold you in the circle. And we, as a community will help you heal because when we don't feel love and accepted and meaningful, it doesn't matter what else is going on in our lives. If we don't have those things, we're going to feel lost. We're going to feel sick. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes, too, um, when um, people um, go to an AA meeting and uh, they um, just hear and they, they have that concept of punishment, um, they're not ready to heal yet. And not yeah. everybody is, and that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Again, they're not bad people, you yeah. know, but some people, um, and I feel bad for them, that that's a barrier to their healing you know, that well, GOD I, word that might come up. Um, and, and I know it would be for me. And that's okay. Because for me, there's this, again, I have a, you know, because of previous experiences um, and now being an atheist, you know, right? to me that needing a sky daddy to tell me what to do <laughs> doesn't um, make me feel. The floating beard. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your imaginary friend, whatever you want to call him. Um, but I love the concept of, uh, because I do think, you know, we don't have all the answers and there is something beyond us that connects us. Now, what that is, whether that's God, whether that's, um, you know, the uh, um, zero point energy, whatever, (laughs) chi, whatever you want to choose, there is something. And I think for people that get stuck on that, you know, hopefully they... uh, you know, that can be expressed in a way to understand 
You choose mm. what you want your higher power to be for you, what your spirituality is going to be for you, how you want to define it, and then allow it to assist you in your healing. And I, I think that's one of the beautiful things about that program because um, it doesn't matter your your creed, color, beliefs. Mm-hmm. It breaks down all the barriers to healing. Yeah. And oh, there's cool. a chapter in their book called We Agnostics, and it's actually written specifically to people um, – so that they can understand the program isn't dependent on you um, believing in God or mm-hmm. a being or anything like that. Yeah. So, that's cool. yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. And I didn't know we were going to talk about this. So. But, you know, this is important things. <laughs> this is big stuff that people can learn well, so much about. And I feel like um, uh, illness um, uh, is created a lot, um, you know, with fear and uh Fear is often caused by misunderstanding. And what's the opposite of that? Like love, yeah, right? Yeah. And learning, understanding, coming mm-hmm. to know, right? Like yeah. K-N-O-W instead yeah. of N-O, yeah. right? You know, it's interesting. I remember reading about the founder of the um, Alcoholics Anonymous and his original program included LSD. <laughs> and the, you know, around it was this, to create that spiritual connection and uh, experience for the people. Because, you know, anyone who's done LSD or mushrooms, they are not addictive. You, you do them <laughs> and you're like, okay, I can go a very long time without going through that again. <laughs> um, or like rocking in a closet, wishing it would stop. And yes. That's maybe six too hours, much six information. <laughs> but yes, I do understand that concept yeah, for sure. But there's, um, you know, there's something about understanding that uh you know you are connected to bigger things and that you aren't the end all be all of life and you're you're not the center of the universe you know your ego isn't the most important thing you know letting go of those things can you know uh again they've been using uh lsd for the last and mushrooms and stuff for mental health uh studies now they've brought it back in the last five years and there's all kinds of cool research. And now they've, uh, it's been decriminalized in how many cities in the U.S. now to be wow. used to be used for um, uh, treatment. The Oregon just decriminalized all drugs. Wow. With the, the last, uh, most recent election. So they're moving towards this where, you know, this can be used as a tool mm. to help with addictions. Mm. And, and the, of course, you know, with ayahuasca and all these things that have done that have helped people kind of get that experience that maybe you build through AA, you know, it's almost Mm. like a, you get it in like days. Um, Well, I think if we look at a lot of, uh, um, you know, substances that expand consciousness can be used to do the opposite. Yeah. And, um, you know, another thing about that is a lot of substances that get abused were actually at some point in time by some culture a sacrament and their connection Mm -hmm. to spirit. And, um, you know, they call alcohol spirits for a reason, Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes the spirit that decides to move through you isn't everyone else's favorite. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's kind of interesting to see how, um, it can be used as a disconnect instead of a connect. Yeah. One thing I've taught all my kids, um, of course, I have seven kids. And oh, my God. Because I, I have three of my own and then That's Chris giving me has heart four. Palpitations. I know. So if you ever feel you need, just I'll lend you some for a Great. bit. Okay. <laughs> but 
I've told all the kids that the, the interesting thing about alcohol in particular is it's an enhancer. It enhances whatever emotion you're currently feeling before you take that alcohol. So if you're in a depressed mood and you drink, you're going to get more depressed. If you're in an angry mood and you drink, you're going to be an angry drunk. Mm. And it's, you're going to be angrier than you usually are. <laughs> or with, uh, you know, and if you're in a good, you know, playful mood, alcohol can add to that experience and make it fun. Um, but, you know, again, I, you know, everyone has to understand that, you know, like you say, like an allergy, <laughs> You don't, you don't know you're allergic to it until you try it. Mm. And how do you, how do you help someone understand that? How do you prevent that? Do you just tell everyone don't drink or how do they know that it's an addiction or that, that it's an allergy? Um, right. You, like you don't until you eat the peanut, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I wouldn't um, discourage um, people from having their own experience. That's our whole, I think, point is like to be here is mm -hmm. to have our experiences so is it just if they find that um, they start to use that as a way to cope or to hide or to well, bury? Like, what's what's the sign? I would say when it starts, um, you know, um, if if you look um, often, um, AA will hand out little pamphlets that have a questionnaire, and if you answer a certain number of, number of those questions, you may be an alcoholic. Oh, okay, and I think. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily define it, but I think what defines it is when is, is that adverse effect. And um, just because you're enjoying yourself doesn't mean everyone else is. Mm. So maybe not even just the effect on yourself, but uh, How's the it affecting your, your world? community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I know people that can use heroin on the weekends and right? they're totally fine. They've never become addicted. You know, it's, um, they use it to kind of, relax and settle and reboot themselves and but it's never become something that's harmed them right and you know there's a lot of substances out there you know there's there's some now that have like been cooked up in labs that i don't think as anyone should even use recreationally but <laughs> well arsenic is not fun yeah let's yeah. not start trying that <laughs> tide pods are not good we all get it like but again, that's that, you know, what is, uh, what is this substance, this practice, this thing? What is it trying to bury for you? What is it trying to, what are, why are you trying to use it to disconnect from the moment? Mm. And, and I, I think that's, that's a good marker it. for sure. Yeah. And there's a lot of markers. Like you could look at your financial health, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, um, even people um, just smoking, you know, look at what mm -hmm. that pack costs. And yeah. when you um, eliminate that, like, how is that affecting you? Can you not feed your kids because of that? Mm -hmm. Right. You haven't been working for a few months. Is that, you know, yeah. that's a, one of the components too, right? Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I never planned that we would get into this, but this is important <laughs> stuff. Yeah. We haven't <laughs> talked about addictions yet on the podcast. Um, another question I have is, you know, like what... What kind of practices, what kind of kind of day-to-day -day things do you do to help you find balance with your mental health? Wow. And and it kind of goes back to you can do all these things and it might not help you that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I definitely look at my nutrition. It's important to me. 
um, what I'm putting in my body. Food is information. And what am I telling my body to do? Mm. So generally for me, that looks like whole foods. And uh, the more packaged something is, I just think the more confusing it is to my body. Like, mm. what is that? Mm. I don't know what to do with this. Do yeah. I store this? Do I eliminate this? I don't, I don't know. Um, and I can tell I uh, feel sugar highs sometimes and mm. then the crash that comes after and i know i'm particularly sensitive to caffeine but i do love coffee <laughs> so sometimes <laughs> that's one that i that still haven't tried that i need to work on a little <laughs> bit what you've never had coffee never tried coffee <laughs> oh my gosh don't do it <laughs> you know like i feel that way almost because i have so many patients that are addicted to coffee and well and when when we talk about um, that you can also think about um, ethical ramifications and ecological yeah, ramifications. Where is that coming from? Coffee is destroying our planet. And, yeah. you know, then I have that cognitive dissonance every time I'm having <laughs> coffee. I'm like the rainforest. <laughs> but it's really good. So I'm, I'm working on that one. But yeah. I know when I consume coffee, I don't sleep well. I have heart palpitations, you know, the old heart fire, yeah. damp heat. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's something I work on. Um, I need to move for my mental health. There has to be movement. And I think we talked about, you know, if there isn't like a release of this mm -hmm. built up energy, yeah. you know, even if it's not adrenaline yet, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I, I need to move my body. And uh, it's it's even um, a spiritual experience for me. Um, so I, I like to practice Qigong mm -hmm. and yoga. And I also work out. So for me, if I'm not doing those things, other people notice. Yeah. Sunshine, I need to be in nature. My connection with the universe uh, comes when I notice what's around me. And, uh, you know, it's amazing um, what you can learn just from looking at the tree next to you as opposed to reading a book. And there's mm -hmm. all these clues in nature for us about how to run our lives and, and uh, technologies we can use and... Uh, so being outside, getting sunshine, I mean, everyone's heard about the importance of vitamin D and seasonal affective disorder. And I notice it it hugely impacts my life. And, you know, I had a bit of a meltdown last week and part of it I can I can pinpoint to I had rode my bike to work every day all summer and that basically uh, stopped, you know, mid-October. So mm -hmm. a lot uh, less light exposure for me. Um, I noticed that makes a huge difference. Um, I don't consume alcohol. That's important to me. Mm -hmm. um, I just notice I'm a much happier, effective and productive person. And it's also helped my financial health a lot. And uh, those uh, are some of the practices that um, I take uh, part in. Um, I also go for counseling. I also get acupuncture. Mm -hmm. um, I do attend a few different 12-step groups, which are important to me. Um, and even just being with my family, being with my parents, I'm so fortunate to have, uh, such a wonderful family. And I can say that, um, the things in my life, um, um, were things I created. My addictions and my struggles were not because I didn't have a supportive family or a judgmental family. Um, they're wonderful people. And uh, so just seeing my mom and dad and, and sister, and if I don't um, get that connection with them, I, I do struggle. And yeah, I love you guys. I know I'm a pain <laughs> in the ass, but I do love you. 
And uh, those are kind of the important things for my mental, um, emotional, and of course, physical health. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have spiritual practices. Um, I pray, I meditate, I smudge. Uh, I connect to spirit in in many different ways, and I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a religious person, um, but I do like to study different faiths, and mm-hmm. I do find it um, that that opens my consciousness, yeah. and uh, that I don't necessarily need a substance to do that, but I can have ideas, mm-hmm. and uh, I find those are all components um, that are part of my mental, emotional health, and sometimes I can be doing all those things. And you can ask the people in my life, I'm not perfect. You know, I'm pulling yeah. out my hair, yelling, throwing books, whatever. Sometimes <laughs> that feels better too. Um, but, uh, you know, I do recognize that it's uh, an important part of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and I think we all have to find that path <laughs> for us, you know, and those tools and so on, that those things that work for us. Yeah, like I know for myself, my addict, one of my main addictions is food. Mm, you're uh, speaking to uh, me. Like, cause I'll get in these uh, states where like, I'll need to eat like every half hour, hour, you know? And it's, so one thing that always helps me is when I feel like I'm in that rut and I'm stuck. Um, and my body prefers, it's really interesting is like, my body doesn't like eating until two o'clock. Mm. So I don't like when I'm trying to f- get myself balanced and try to work on things, I won't eat until two o'clock and I feel so much better. Mm. And I particularly, my body likes to consume the majority of its calories at night. Um, and so that's one way I try to balance that is I'll mm. just, I just won't eat till two. And then, you know, then I kind of can keep it under control, but I, I just feel so, like when I, and sometimes I'll fast Anywhere from like three to seven days. And that's a nice reset for me. Mm-hmm. Like I'll have water, mm-hmm. but um, I just feel so much better that way. Because again, you know, when the thing that kind of pulls me out of the moment and again, you know, I don't know if it's part of growing up with seven kids and you know, never, <laughs> never having enough food around or whatever. Scarcity you know? complex, hey? <laughs> yeah, yeah. eh? and, and not that there wasn't enough food, but, um, you know, when you uh, – and now you're an adult and you can buy and eat whatever you want, Woo-hoo. you know? So there's this, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. But I, there's things I try to do now to kind of control that. I can identify um, with you. I've uh, struggled with um, being overweight a lot of my life and using uh, food as a way to soothe my emotions. I'm yeah. definitely an emotional eater at times if I'm not aware of it. Uh, um, a eater. Um, a storm eater. This is another one where you don't even know why you're eating. Mm -hmm. You're just, you know, you've started something and you can't stop. And unfortunately, unlike other um, addictions where uh, you can abstain, you know, we need to consume something eventually to, Mm -hmm. to continue uh, living. So it, it's definitely one that I have to use the tools from the other things that I've learned um, there. And it's, um, for me, it was always something our family always uh, celebrated with, you know, you go to a wedding, you go have a birthday, that's the way we celebrate. Mm-hmm. So it started to also be a reward. Oh, mm. I, you know, I've, I've seen more patients today so I yeah. can eat two cakes. Yeah. <laughs> like ridiculous, <laughs> right? 
Yeah. Yeah. But that's something we're programmed from a very young age. It's like, oh, you got a, a vaccination. Here's a sucker. Right. You went to the dentist. Here's a cookie. You broke up with your boyfriend, girlfriend. Have some ice Top cream. Top of ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> and so we've conditioned ourselves and even parents rewarding us with like good grades or, you know, or you're sad. Let's cheer you up with something sweet. Um, so we've been conditioned that emotion, when emotion is triggered, food follows. Um, you know, a baby cries, they're breastfed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, so when we punish ourselves mm. for doing or, you know, overeating or whatever, <laughs> It's just programming. Mm. And when we can understand it and connect with it, then we can start to change it. You know, then there's tools and practices. I'm sure there's a 12 step for food, right? There is Overeaters Anonymous, yeah. actually. So there yeah. is a 12 step group yeah. for, for people around food. So. Yeah. And, you know, we all need community Absolutely. at certain times in our lives that fits with what we need. And uh, I don't think there's um, one way to healing you know, no. I meet so many yeah. different people who've used so many different practices and it, it's wonderful. And to me, yeah. I don't care how they get better. Yeah, exactly. Like one thing I'll hear sometimes from patients is, oh, I was seeing this practitioner or this doctor and they said that I shouldn't see anyone else and that we need to focus on this right now and see what <laughs> works. And I never get offended because I'm like, you know, I just... Because when patients ask me, oh, can I still do this and this? Can I still see my chiro, still see my massage or my physio? And I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> see as many people as you can mm. to get you better as fast as you can. Like, don't overtreat because sometimes that can be an issue. But and I'm and I'm always like, if you need a break from me, you go right ahead. Because mm. to me, it's not about who heals you. It's mm. you just need to get better. I I love yeah. that and. You know, it always makes me laugh uh, when I do an intake with a new patient and uh, they don't know me very well yet. And I think a lot of people come in with assumptions that because I'm an alternative health practitioner um, that I have poor views of Western medicine. Mm -hmm. And I'll almost always hear, um, oh, and I'm taking this from my doctor, but I need to stop. And I'm like, oh my God, like those are yeah. beta blockers. That's like, for your heart yeah, condition. Yeah. Don't stop taking those. It's almost like they apologize to us for taking their medications. I don't see it as a failure. No. And some people see having to uh, use the tools that Western medicine gives them as a failure, Yeah, you know, but it it's not, it's a tool to use yeah. for your benefit. And, yeah. you know, if there's a case where there's maybe some side effects to something that are outweighing the benefit, you know, they can go back to talk to their doctor and and give them the ability to work on that yeah. instead of just walk away from that. Yeah. You don't give the practitioner the opportunity to learn about mm -hmm. what what's working for you or, you know, it's a team effort, yeah. right? And I always tell patients, you know, it's not my role to tell you what to do with your medication. Mm. My role is to get you feeling so good. And so much better <laughs> then maybe you can go back to your doctor and either, you know, maybe and lower your it. dose or, you know, change something or, you know, like, it, you know, to me, it's, uh, I think early on in my, you know, alternative experience with, with medicine, I may have been a little more hardcore <laughs> thinking that, oh, everyone's body can do everything hundred percent. We just need to get it there. And then, you know, the body's fine on its own, but everything's so different. You know, mm -hmm. to make a judgment like that is just cruel and <laughs> you need to 
you know, everyone can find their own little thing. Like if, you know, like I treat, um, I've treated a number of patients with psychosis or bipolar and so on. And it's like, you know, some of these medications are keeping them alive. Absolutely. You know, my, if anything, my role is just to help them work better, mm. you know, or mm. hopefully that they don't have to use as much. So they don't have to as many complications. Mm. And to me, when, you know, uh, a success for a patient is for them to really be able to live their life not to get off their medication and me to be the one that healed them. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's beautiful to see practitioners who've let go of their ownership yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah. So if you were to leave our listeners with any advice, uh. <laughs> what would, would you have anything to share or have you already shared it? Cause you shared so much. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, um, the answer's out there. You just need to find it. Yeah. And uh, it's probably not going to come from a person. And uh, just be open and willing and uh, ready to receive um, instead of deciding. Yeah. Because when you decide, it's like that predicting mm -hmm. the future. And like, I don't know about you. I'm not a fortune teller. Yeah. <laughs> as much as I like to connect with intuition, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. 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 I always feel like the the true, you know, kind of revealer isn't these external things. Like, mm. you know, things, uh, revealing things to us. It's us. It's our deep subconscious. It's our spirit. That's, that probably has all the answers already. We're just not listening or asking the right questions. Mm. Or we keep doing too much of this. And yeah. Like none of this. Yeah. Right? Too much talking, not enough listening. Yeah. Um, I had an old cowboy say to me once, uh, the journey is long from here to hear oh, but it's from worth the it. mind to the heart oh. yeah yeah i love that oh good well let's let's end on that awesome <laughs> i think that's good don't let me talk anymore <laughs> well i had an awesome time i don't know why i haven't sat down and had a longer <laughs> chat with you a long time ago we need to have coffee together <laughs> we do <laughs> or don't and, maybe don't and, start <laughs> and i we need to do a treatment swap or something regularly because i would love to come and get treated by you oh my god that would be so sweet okay let's do, do it, it. Yeah, I'm going to leave in the description um, where you can hook up with uh, Sarah if you want to go get a, a treatment, go visit her clinic or, um, you know, just have a herbs. coffee with me. But yeah. make sure it's decaf yeah. or I get yeah. crazy. Yeah, there you go. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just absolutely fantastic. And I'll even uh, put in her social stuff. So if you want to follow her and see some of the <laughs> antics she gets up to. I was super jealous of her a couple months ago because she was like in hot air balloons for a couple of days. I'm kind That's of spoiled. Awesome. I have yeah. friends who have hot air balloons and yeah. uh, I, I volunteer for the uh, Heritage and Balloon Festival in mm -hmm. High River, which we're so blessed to have. And yeah, uh, yeah so I've kind of got a ride here and, yeah. and there. It's pretty, pretty dope. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for your time. I'm sorry we went a little late, but I really appreciate uh, all you shared with us. Well, if, if we went late, it's because we were having so much fun. Yeah, that's great. All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. Um, you know, definitely connect with Sarah. Wonderful member of our community. So grateful to have her. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jared. All right. Bye. All right. Well, I had a great time um, meeting with Sarah. Um, you know, if, if I'm here from the interview, you know, I've known her for a number of years and um, I find her very fascinating. <laughs> I think she's, uh, I always, um, are drawn to people that are very authentic and, you know, uh, follow their heart and, 
you know, be themselves. And she's one of those people. And so I really enjoyed our discussion. And um, I was really impressed too with, you know, not only um, what she's been through and overcome uh, and what she continues to do to, you know, find her balance and keep herself healthy. But uh, again, obvious from the discussion, I know very little about eight-step programs. <laughs> but I I appreciate her having the um, confidence and, you know, skills to call me on my uh, lack of information and to share more with me. Um, it's, uh, again, again, I don't know a whole lot about uh, eight steps, but it just uh, seems there's some secrecy around it and people don't share a whole lot, but I'm grateful for what she did share and, uh, you know, providing that information to um, correct my ignorance and uh, understand more about what it's about. Um, so that if I ever have issues, then now I'll... <laughs> won't be afraid to go and go into an eight-step program. Uh, um, so I appreciate her clearing up my ignorance there. Uh, I, uh, you know, it was also nice to speak to a fellow practitioner, someone who, you know, goes through that, that day-to-day of uh, putting other people first and focusing on their illnesses and their struggles and trying to give to them and help them heal. Um, it can be draining. It can be very difficult. Um, you know, I really love my job. I have a great place to work. I have amazing people to work with. I have some absolutely incredible patients. But yet, when you do it six days a week and you're, you know, constantly putting that energy out there f- to others, it does wear you. And, uh, makes it, um, uh, you know, difficult to focus on yourself and care for yourself. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very impressed and proud of Sarah for, you know, finding that balance for herself and, you know, putting her wealth, her health first and, you know, making those decisions and choices to care for herself. Um, you know, it's a whole world, uh, that I need to get better at. And, um, you know, put myself and my health first, um, kind of pull myself away from that, uh, continual focus and on the clinic and patients and so on. So thank you for, you know, uh, setting an example and, uh, you know, showing us all how, you know, we can all struggle. And even those of us in, you know, positions of healing can struggle too. And that, uh, you know, we may stumble or we may have difficulties, but it's uh, uh, with support around us in a community, we can pull ourselves out of our difficulties. So um, really enjoyed that discussion. Hope you enjoyed this time uh, listening to Sarah. I'm going to be taking a bit of a break from the podcast just because I've already had to cancel uh, a guest. Um you know, I recorded Sarah's interview a f- quite a few weeks ago. So uh, this uh, little uh, ending I'm recording in uh, the end of November. And with the new protocols and the new rules, um, you know, though we are fairly distanced here in the, the podcast room, um, they've asked us not to have other people in our homes. And because this is my home slash uh 
clinic and it's not really an appointment for a clinic. It's more of a, really, it is a social thing. Um, I'm going to take a break from interviewing guests in person. I may do someone, uh, some of them online or, you know, through a Zoom or FaceTime, but it's not the same. Uh, so I'll uh, take a break for a few weeks here. Um, there's a chance that uh, we are going to be shut down uh, on December 18th. I have a feeling that's probably their plan because I really don't see things getting much better with the uh, uh, guidelines they've given us just because we're on a trajectory here that would take a whole lot to slow things down. Um, you know, no one wants to hear more about COVID, but, you know, it's nice that with the uh, the results that have come back from a lot of these vaccines, there's a light at the end of the tunnel now. And the hope that, uh, that uh, there's hope and excitement about the fact that a lot of these vaccines are working uh, in older populations very effectively. Um, where that's not really seen with uh, flu vaccines. So that's really exciting. The virus is very stable. And um, so the results of these uh, vaccines should be very effective. And they should, um, from what the research says, give us uh, protection for quite some time. So it looks like uh, science won. We shall see. Uh, there's a lot of hesitancy and concern amongst my patients about vaccines in general, let alone a new one that was uh, put together so quickly. Now, most of these new ones, these RNA ones, they approach very differently and um, seem very exciting. And so potential for side effects may be even less with these ones. So uh, that's very encouraging. You know, I was talking to a patient yesterday about how now the Chinese uh, Chinese medicine invented vaccinations. They were doing it thousands of years ago, so it has a very long history and it does work. You know, I will admit myself um, at a time where it was an anti-vaxer, and that's just from lack of information and understanding. Um, and yeah, sure, you know, harass some people about it early on, uh, but now I. My my mind has been changed and, uh, um, you know, there may be some concerns with a very, 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 very small percentage of uh, reactions from vaccines. But compared to the lives that are protected, they are far more uh, valuable than to just not have vaccines. Um, so with these new ones, I do hope that uh, if Canada can get some access to a, a large number of the vaccines initially, if we can vaccinate long-term care and the elderly and uh, physicians and nurses, you know, uh, support care workers and hospitals, man, we will be in a much different place than we are. And there's potential to be at that place in two months, maybe three months. And if we can get through this time and get those most vulnerable uh vaccinated, then we know our hospitals won't be overrun. Our doctors and nurses aren't all going to get sick. And then we can manage this situation uh, much easier, keeping our numbers down as we vaccinate the rest of the country. So there is hope. I'm pretty excited about it because it has been very unsettling and uh, difficult for all of us. And the one thing I notice most with patients and people that I talk to is 
the uncertainty of everything is the hard part because we don't know if our businesses will be shut down next week or not. We don't know if our family and friends are going to get sick. We don't know if someone we love can die. And when that's all going to end, when it's going to get controlled, it's been a very long year. And to finally see a little light at the end of the tunnel and some hope, it is very refreshing. And I hope it comes sooner than I even think. Um, Who knows, it could be delayed sometime. They are saying that the last Canadians should be vaccinated by uh, uh, fall of 2021. So that is uh, 10 months, uh, you know, from now, nine, 10 months. So, um, but if in this first two or three months, if we can get the, those that need it the most, uh, I do think life can return somewhat to normal um, because we know the hospitals won't be overrun then. So, Let's hope that's the path and that we can get a hold of these vaccines in a timely manner and that they are safe. And again, to, uh, you know, further discuss concerns of vaccines, you know, some patients are getting really worried, but I'm like, you know, tens of thousands of people have had these vaccines already. And those, you know, majority of these patients that are concerned are the um, least vulnerable and they will get the vaccine probably near the end of the line anyway. So there will be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who will receive these vaccines by the time we do. And if there is any concern, you know, with vaccines, it shows up pretty much within the first few days. And uh, so there's a good chance if there is a problem, we will know it before it hits the majority of the population. And that's why these trials are designed the way they are to eliminate those concerns even before the majority of people get it. So let's have some faith in science and, you know, um, what we've been able to accomplish so quickly here, um, because it is going to be something that we're going to have to get really good at, because I don't think this is going to change a whole lot. Um, you know, it seems like every 10 years or so, we've been having stronger and stronger viruses hit the, the world. And as long as we continue to have wet markets for wild animals and uh, factory farming and all of that, there will always be a risk for animals to spread even stronger viruses to us. And as long as we continue to uh, like the taste of meat and not change the way we prepare it and sell it and farm it, Again, I don't like the term farm when it comes to eating because, you know, it's not a plant. <laughs> You're killing that animal. So I'm putting my feelings into this. Uh, so if you are if you don't share those views, don't worry about it. Uh, anyway, uh, there is hope. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and we're going to get through this. So I'm going to take a break of in-person interviews. We may do some, or I may just take a month or so off and get at it again in the new year. Um, and hopefully then we can get some people uh, uh, here in the podcast room and have some great interviews. But thank you for listening. This is podcast number 21. Uh, when I started this back in the summer, I had no idea that we would be doing this many and that uh, we would have the response we've had. Um, you know, to this point, we've already had over a thousand unique people listen to our podcasts. and. Um, that's pretty cool. You know, we really haven't 
done a whole lot to get it out there. And uh, just by people sharing and listening, um, that's where it's come. And I hope that it's helped a few people and changed, you know, their minds a bit. They're not alone and that we all are dealing with stuff together. And that as we create better community and have more patience and love and kindness for each other, then we'll all get through this and we will. Life can be tough at times. Anyway, thank you, everyone. Enjoy uh, your holidays and uh, stay safe out there. Bye-bye.